This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. Welcome to Through the Ringer. I am your host, Tate Frazier, and I am ready to have the man, Van Lathan, come back on the show. We're going to talk about what's happening in the Eastern Conference between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. We're also going to talk about some LeBron James scenarios, and we're going to get into a little bit of prop culture and talk about succession. we got a jam-packed show. we got a lot of topics to cover. Now let's get to Van Lathan. All right, welcome back into Through the Ringer. I am sitting here across from one of my favorite people in the Ringer universe. He is the great Van Lathan. Van, great to see you again. Great to see you too, man. How you doing? I like, I like the mixtures here yeah. of the styles. I always got to comment on the styles because right. what you got is i went casual for you because last time i was here you were like upset you were like why do you got a jacket on no. i'm going athleisure so i was like i'm gonna match fire with fire here a little bit but i like this because this is something that you don't see mm-hmm. you could literally take that jacket off and go right to the gym exactly and so it's like you take it off like spider-man mm-hmm. or something like that yeah. you take it off and then you're ready to work out well you're ready like people come at me sometimes i talk about basketball and they're like let's see you play and i'm like i'm ready to go Let's run it up. You I, got, got, I got a ball and shoes your, in my car. What's your game? What's my game? I mean, you know, you know, you know, you know who I play like who? Rashad McCants. Rashad McCants. That's who I play like. <laughs> Rashad McCants. What was the big angry white boy from North Carolina? <laughs> what was his name? Tyler Hansbro. Ty- that's who you remind me. Of. Remember oh him? man, remember he was him? on the last episode. He was so yeah, he came I, on the show. I like. I always <laughs> liked him because I I imagined him. As being the kind of guy that, like, after a long game, just goes back to his place, mm. pops open a full gallon of whole milk, and just chucks it. <laughs> like, Hansbro needs his vitamins. <laughs> anyway. He used uh, to pull an Escalade up the street on Franklin Street back in Chapel Hill back in the day. He was that kind of guy. What like, you mean, pull it? He would literally strap himself to an Escalade. They would put it in neutral, and he would pull it up Franklin Street, and then people would watch him and cheer. No, that's the whitest shit. <laughs> for my life, bro. Shout out to him. He was I like I liked him though. Like he yeah, was he course. was fun, man. Yeah, he's the Tim Tebow of college basketball. Absolutely, there you go. something like that. Well, let's talk about NBA basketball because we got a lot going on. Sure. Uh, Celtics in Game Four, they get a win. They keep the series extended, yeah. and now we have a situation where we have 
Going back to Boston, we got the Celtics and the Heat. Uh, Miami is uh, going to be the underdog in this game. The underdog has won every game so far in the series. It is 3-1 right now. The The spread is 7.5, according to our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. Do you feel like Charles Barkley? He said last night that the Heat are going to get spanked in Boston. Uh, it's going to be a blowout. Do you think that's that? Is that something that you forecast and expect in Boston for game five? Uh, no, I don't. I don't expect that. I expect the Heat to be competitive no matter which way the game ends up going. Right. I mean, look, the Celtics have cucked out in some of the most masterful ways <laughs> in this series. There's just no reason for me to believe that that completely changed with the last game. Uh, either way, I just don't see two games in a row with Miami not being competitive in crunch time. So I think the game will be close. I can easily see the Celtics like winning the game. Um, I can see this is one of those series where myriad possibilities exist. I could see the Celtics once again weirdly crumbling under the weight of having to perform uh, on that big of a stage, which you wouldn't think would happen to them given the fact that they've been there so often. But sometimes they just stop competing. And it's weird. And obviously there are all kinds of actual in-game basketball adjustments that Missoula doesn't seem to be making. But also sometimes there's just like a, a want to that doesn't seem like it's there for them. Like they just cuck out. I don't know what's going on. So I can see that happening, but I can also see this series actually running out six, seven games maybe. Yeah, Kevin O'Connor I saw yesterday on Beyond the Arc. He was talking about uh, there were some reports that internally some of the Celtics apparently quote-unquote fake like each other. Um, and they're tired of fake liking each other, which maybe goes back to some of that want-to, some of the body language that's going on. But in the fourth quarter, Jason Tatum finally came to life for the first time in the series. They seem to be connected uh, at a higher level in that fourth quarter. And, you know, Grant Williams, right? He got a little bit of redemption. He got a nice block on Jimmy after Jimmy called for the switch on him. So maybe mentally... The, the wheels start churning, and I think there is a narrative aspect to this because Derek Jeter's in the building last night, Alex Rodriguez is in the building, um, and they're both there, and they were both a part of a 3-0 series lead in 2004 that the Red Sox came back from. Jesus is there any Christ. sort of weird mojo that, that may have been in the building there? Tate, that just blew my mind. I'm sure people must have been <laughs> talking about that, but I wasn't even thinking about that. Look, I put up uh, Kevin Millar, when he was like, remember the joint? He's like, he's telling Chauncey, he was like, uh, don't let us win tonight. Remember that? Yeah. Don't let us win tonight. We got Petey. We got Chili. I love baseball names. <laughs> we got Petey. We got Chili. Um, Veritecki. Veritecki. <laughs> Eucalyssi. <laughs> Me, Damony. Uh, we got Poppy. That's really worse. Um, so, no, look, maybe. Uh, if Boston does this twice, I don't know what to think. If If... If Boston is the, will we ever hear the end of it? If they do come back, because right now it's a hundred and fifty to zero. Teams with three zero leads have always won the series, and Boston could be the first team to kind of debunk that. And it feels like if you just think about numbers in general, out of hundred and fifty opportunities, maybe the hundred and fifty first it does happen. And Boston seems to be talking themselves into it a little bit, maybe not too much, but just a little bit. Well, you're a, a college basketball guy, so you know for a long time it was the whole thing that. No 16th seed had ever beat a number one. Mm -hmm. And my feeling about that was, isn't it eventually going to happen? It has to happen. It has to happen, right? right? Doesn't it eventually have to happen? And then it did. Uh, now it's happened twice. Now it's happened twice. So eventually you would think that some team down 3-0 would roll off four straight. And if it was going to happen, this might be the situation where it could, right? You have a, you have an eight. Um, two matchup here. 
where you have a, a team that on paper seems to have a significant talent advantage uh, against Miami. Miami seems to play more cohesively. They have that. They they have a better culture, heat culture, obviously. So it seems as if if the Celtics snapped out of it, that they could do it. I just don't see it, dog. Yeah, I like that Malcolm Brogdon said that they are the better team. And then if you just look at the Heat roster, the highest drafted player on their roster is Cody Zeller. Right. The fourth pick in 2013. So that, that also kind of breaks your brain when you watch Miami. You're like, I'm watching Gabe Vincent. I'm watching Duncan Robinson. I'm watching all of these guys that are kind of Caleb Martin, right, that are kind of off the radar. Then you're watching Boston. You're like, I remember where Marcus Smart got picked. I remember where Jalen Brown got picked. I remember Jason Tatum. I remember Rob Williams, right? Yeah. And in general, on paper, it makes sense, but I just feel like my Miami mentally has something over them, and they avoided the sweep. And sometimes you're like, you, you feel relief when you yeah. avoid the sweep, and then it's over. So last thing I'll say about this is, I, I think saying that we are the better team because we have better players is a little misleading, mm-hmm. right? There is having the better players, and then there is having the better team. It, I think 04 NBA Finals is the perfect example of that, right? Mm-hmm. The Lakers have the better team on paper, talent wise. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Pistons, who are the better team by far. What about the Olympics? Mm. When you put all of those guys together, and they go out there and they get <laughs> cooked by Carlos Arroyo. <laughs> and you, you, you know what I mean? 2004, same 2004, year. 2004, same right. year, you know what I mean? Or I can think about intramural football. <laughs> uh, Louisiana Tech University, my second year there, watching the team from Carruthers, which had all the guys that you would think would have won go up against a team from the hut, which mm. had a bunch of white boys, that when you kicked the ball to them, they would get down and do a rugby scrum, <laughs> and you didn't know where the football was. And then all of a sudden, Bill one Belichick. guy would yeah. run out, and I was like, and I was just, I, we, we sat down there, we were so high, and we just watched them get <laughs> whopped. And then in the coming year or whatever, you see that those guys were practicing four times a week. So team is one thing. Players are a different thing. The Celtics certainly have better players than Miami, but they have not proven that they're as good a team as the Heat. Not quite yet. Yeah, and let's flip to the Western Conference. Sure. One of my favorite things in media right now is uh, every single media personality comes out before they get into the conversation and they say, let's give Denver Nuggets their flowers. Let's make sure we talk about the Nuggets. And then instead of doing that, they immediately turn and pivot to LeBron James. So in that same ethos, I'm going to do the same thing and ask you about <laughs> LeBron James because – he did put out to the world that he may be retiring. He is contemplating retirement. How much do you buy into this, and how much of this is Nike slash LeBron PR? LeBron's going to be back next year. Okay, good. Now, I definitely believe that in the heat of the moment, there's some thought from him to, like, look, how long do I want to be doing this? You know what I mean? Like, how long? He has to be tired. He's got to be tired. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's got a foot injury. He's playing through things, and then he's got to look around and now be asking himself, with what we have here and what we can do, is there another legitimate title run in this team? You know, um, And getting beat like they got beat against a clearly superior team might have him questioning if he could ever actually beat that team no matter what they put around him. So then you wonder, like, why you're doing it. I think there's one reason why he's doing it. I think the chances of Bronny James being able to uh, make the NBA at least earlier than he would have made the NBA are a lot better if LeBron James is still in the league. I think he wants to make sure that his son is in the NBA. I think the kid's a good basketball player. 
but he's not necessarily the prototypical one-and-done player. Mm-hmm. So I think LeBron James's dedication as a father and the overall dedication to one of the uh, strongest tenets, strongest foundational things in American history, which is nepotism, <laughs> will keep LeBron James... <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> We'll keep LeBron James coming back. And I just don't know if he quite knows what his life is without basketball yet either. Yeah, and I think that Bronny, if you got him off the record, he would say, I'm excited to spend some time in college. You know what I mean? He seems like that kind of kid. He has a great group of friends that are apparently going with him to USC. I'm excited to see him at USC. He also has the luxury of the number two player in the class, Isaiah Collier, is coming in with him. He's got Boogie Ellis, a fifth-year guy, coming back. So the backcourt will be kind of shored up for him. He doesn't have to carry too much of a load. So he'll be in a good situation. LeBron has two more years on his deal. So unless he retires, you know what I mean, I, I, I assume that he will be back with the Lakers. So I wanted to throw out to you, though, what are the best-case LeBron scenarios moving forward? You know what I mean? And I want to throw out the craziest one. Sure. What if LeBron takes a sabbatical, right? Like we said, he's exhausted. He's basically played four more seasons with his playoff games. So he's right. really going into year 25 if you add up all the games. Jesus. If he takes a sabbatical, uh-huh. sits out a year, goes to USC games, watches Bronny, his contract gets voided with the Lakers, they can go sign someone, Kyrie can take his spot with the money, whatever it may be, right? He sits to the side. And then the next year, he and Bronny are a package deal. They come back together. They shop around the teams. And then he decides he wants to play for the, his favorite coach of all time, Greg Popovich. And he wants to take Bronny with him, who gets drafted in the second round by the Spurs. And now you have LeBron, Victor Wimbanyama, Greg Popovich, Bronny James, Keldon Johnson. That's my craziest scenario. But what is the best case scenario for You LeBron know what? James? We should do an animated show. <laughs> the animated show could be called... Because, you know, they have Marvel, and there's a long-running Marvel comic series called What If. Mm. Uh, you've heard of it. Yes. You know, so it's like, what if Spider-Man had the power of cosmic? What if Miles Morales was Thor? Mm. What if, what if? And you just gave me the pilot, <laughs> seriously, for an NBA out- What If. NBA What If. Right. So I'm telling you right now, FanDuel, whoever, call Marvel. <laughs> Y'all should do NBA What If. Mm-hmm. That would be so awesome to see. Of course, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, the most likely thing that'll happen is that, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to have surgery or not. Uh, I'm not sure. I would if, assume so. I would assume he's going to have surgery. Mm-hmm. So the most likely thing is he has surgery here pretty soon. Um, he rehabs his foot. He comes back at some point, and the Lakers retool will try to come back. But what that retooling is going to be is going to be super-duper interesting because Prior to this series, especially after the Warriors series, if you poll Lakers fans, they were sure that they did not want to flirt with Kyrie Irving. Um, and had this gone six, maybe even five, with how close some of the games were, I think that would have still been the thing. I still think it is now. Yeah. Yeah. I think and and got- Kyrie was courtside. He yeah. was making himself visible. He was dapping up LeBron before every game. A lot of people have pointed to the fact that that is his way to gain leverage with Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks. We don't we don't know. We can't read between the lines. But it does seem like Kyrie, AD, and LeBron is a big three that fits into the to the fold of what LeBron would be looking for traditionally, based on what we've seen the past decade. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe if, you know, guys play basketball, you know, if you can get – if you can get, like, I don't know, 
60 games. I don't know how many how much basketball these guys are going to play. You know, it's just it's so, it's so interesting. All we need really before the playoffs is 20 games. Like that's why I had a problem with the Suns. I'm like if the, if Kevin Durant didn't slip on that wet spot and they had played 20 games together, I think the Suns would have been a different animal in the postseason. They took the Nuggets to 6 games. Yeah. But you need 20 games at least. So if Kyrie, LeBron and AD could give you 20 games of the regular season at least, have some continuity and go into the playoffs. It's a scary group to go against. Do, do you understand what's happened to the NBA? I was just—I remember NBA when it was like, "Hey, watch the game Tuesday night, Jordan versus Barkley." Hey, watch the game, Hot Rod Williams mm. and Mark Price versus whoever. And when you cut on the games, the players that play for these teams—they were actually there. You have a better chance at winning $5 million in Vegas than you do of watching Clippers versus Lakers in the regular season and having Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, LeBron James all on the court. 20 games, Tate. But 20 games? That's... Play! <laughs> basketball! I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, bro. I, I'm not... Uh, they got a lot. I'm sitting here. I'm 280 pounds. I don't know what these guys have to go through with their bodies. Playing a basketball game, right. 20 games. Could, uh, whatever. Well, it's different, too, because, like, there was a, you know, we got the Michael Jordan era where he had literally in his contract a clause that said, for the love of the game, and he could play basketball whenever he wanted to, and they didn't want him to play in the offseason. Yeah. And now it's like... I don't want to play ever, if possible. (laughs) I'd rather not play. Ben Simmons is is setting the tone for let's just keep getting paid out here and do the best we can. Um, Let's talk about the, the, this is a would you rather question. Would you rather have Austin Reeves, keep Austin Reeves in the fold, or trade for a Trey Young or a Kyrie Irving, potentially? That's the the million dollar question. Austin Reeves. I'm sorry. There you have it. I'm sorry. The American Luka Doncic, as I like to call it. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um, Uh... Look, man, I, respect to everybody, mm. everyone. It's like, what, what is Trey Young going to fix? What what problems is Trey Young going to fix for the Lakers? He's a clutch guy. That's why the rumors are there. That's fine. That's not going to That's not going to help. That's not, I mean, it's, 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 what it, the commitment that you have to make, what you, Austin Reeves is not as good as Trey Young. He's not. Mm-hmm. But the commitment that you have to make to Austin Reeves and what you can get out of Austin Reeves in terms of culture and him fitting in to the risk-reward to bring in a Trey Young is, to me, there's a lot, there's a different demand to having a Trey Young, to have a player of his perceived caliber to what he actually brings when he's on the court. That's like a whole different ball of wax. Kyrie Irving, ideally, he's a fantastic basketball player. But this, there's... It, for the last couple of stops, it's always been less than ideal for some reason. I, Kyrie Irving is a fantastic basketball player. Mm-hmm. Um, so gifted. Just an amazing athlete, a fantastic basketball player. But there's just a lot more to it than that. And that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, you don't want to come down. It's nothing personal. It's just a lot more to it than that. And Austin Reeves seems to have already bought into what they're trying to do. And LeBron trusts him, you know. I mean, LeBron yeah. defers to him late in game sometimes to say, "You can have the ball in your hands, and then I'll roam and rove, and then I'll pick my spots when when it needs to be." And he's one of the best pick and roll players in the playoffs, right? And I want to make it clear: I'm not saying would you rather have Austin Reeves or Trey Young or Kyrie Irving. I'm not saying in a vacuum would you rather have them. Right. I'm saying with the team the way it's presently constituted 
everything that's happened, would you rather make that move at the expense of losing someone uh, like Austin Reeves or even Rui? And, like, for me right now, no. And Polika, no. he said in the exit interviews he wants to keep that young core together, Vanderbilt, so Rui. Yeah. He like, come on. He Rob, said that though. before, and then he yeah. traded Kuzma immediately. Get out! I think right after the press conference, he was like, Kuzma, you've been traded. Washington. So, no. It's like, it's. I don't think that means very much. I think the Lakers have a lot of interesting decisions to make. Um, coming off of what was undoubtedly a successful season, but we'll see what they do. One last thing before we flip to the pop culture side of this conversation. Jokic. You're a Jokic hater. You had to be. You put your neck out there. What did you? How was your? What was your reaction to watching Jokic in this series? Disgust, <laughs> disdain. You ever see Rocky Four? Yeah. So you, you remember watching Rocky versus Apollo Creed, <laughs> and you know you're watching. Excuse me, not Rocky versus Apollo Creed. Drago versus Apollo Creed, mm-hmm. and you're watching Drago, and you're looking at Drago. And you're saying, damn, what kind of human being is this? Right. Dude, like 6'5". In the snow, doing workouts, shirtless. Just the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then Apollo Creed comes into the the ring. Got the American flag. And he's just doing all... And you're like, yeah, Apollo. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And then the first... If he dies, he dies. The first couple (laughs) of seconds, if you go back and watch that, because I did... Like, Apollo was kind of hanging with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Apollo, and then all of a sudden, Drago just turns it up on him. And then you got to watch. Because you're there in the movie. The movie, has, you got to watch as Drago just f- clean over Adonis' dad. Mm-hmm. And then you got to be like, hey, that's a bad mm-hmm. and you, you You have to, the only thing you can say about Drago at that point is, that's a bad And I hope somebody beats his The feeling of watching Jokic is just a bad It's just, that's what it is. Not only is he a bad but KCP, a.k.a. Ray Allen, is a bad Um, I was happy for KCP. That that was a nice moment for him. uh, Aaron Gordon, a.k.a. Scottie Pippen. All of these guys that they have, Bruce Brown, a.k.a. Ron Harper. Like, everybody, everybody, they're playing so well. They're a tough team. They've earned it all. I'm a hater, but I'm not a liar. Mm-hmm. The Nuggets are f- amazing. Yeah, they're amazing. And I feel yeah. like if you're you know, a FanDuel person, you go to the sports book, maybe put a bet in for the Nuggets right now to win it all. It feels like they're yeah. a year a little bit. But Jimmy Butler, maybe our Rocky Balboa for the American side, he can come in and, uh, and shore things up for us. We'll see about that. How do you feel about that? You think Jimmy can do it? Yeah, uh, maybe. Well, I don't know, bro. <laughs> they they going to win, bro. <laughs> it, feels, it feels like the West. It feels like the Western Conference Finals felt like the West. Uh, the Nuggets going to win, bro. <laughs> yeah. um, right. You know what's crazy, though? If if the – I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, the Nuggets going to win, bro. I think the Nuggets are going to win, too. Yeah. But, you know, again, we'll give them the respect uh, to the Denver Nuggets as we did not talk about them at all. But, um, you know, that's, that's the world we live in in the media. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, 
Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. Episode nine happens, you know, we get the eulogies at Logan's funeral, very somber moment, everyone's kind of grandstanding, we see, you know, Greg's dad gets up there and gives his version of the story, kind of gives us a little bit of a backstory, you know, of what was going on um, with the Roy family in general, especially with Logan. Um, Do you think the eulogies had some sort of symbolic, you know, kind of tip of the cap to who's going to end up being in charge of things in the end? Do you think with Kendall, you know, standing up there and delivering the eulogy after Roman struggled a little bit, did that that do something for you? Did that move you in any way after seeing that? Roman struggled, Jesus Christ, a little bit. He pulled a John Starks. Like, he he was up there, he's terrible. Yeah. Uh, he said he pre-grieved, but it looked like he did not pre-grieve. I don't think he pre-grieved uh, quite comprehensively enough. Look, that was one of the most... The funeral scene is the only scene that doesn't deal with father-son dynamics directly that I could really relate to in the history of secession. Like, I've been at those funerals mm-hmm. to where uh, like, we're all looking and somebody goes, oh, I know he's not about to say something. And he gets up there and just trashes the person in the box. Then we go, okay, well, now it's all screwed. Then somebody else comes up and gives a better context. And then there's always a woman, a strong woman that comes up and just talks about love. So it was a very relatable moment from somebody who's probably been to one too many funerals. But what I think it did 
was it essentially eliminated Roman from the conversation and it eliminated Logan from the conversation. Mm. I think narratively, the audience probably had an idea of who Logan Roy was um, before the funeral and before the eulogies, right? After that, it brought the ambiguity of Logan's character back because what you had was, hey, this guy was a dad, he was a brute, and he was also a scarred, battered child. How know, How do we know how we would like relate to humanity if we had been blamed for the death of our sister at such a young age? So that kind of, we thought we knew what Logan was, and by them introducing a little bit of ambiguity to him, they kind of took him off the table, and they essentially let us let go of him, which is what a funeral is hopefully going to do for someone. And they also let us know that as far as the family dynamic, this is between Shiv and Ken. Mm. Uh, um, and so to me, it was one of the most affecting scenes because of that. I'm not sure if I have a better idea of how things are going to shake out because of the funeral scene, but I think I know what's not going to happen. Um, and that's Roman is not going to be a player, um, and that they are the, the 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 shadow of Logan Roy is not going to continue to loom so large over the show. I think this episode did a good job of uh, moving us past Logan. And that shadow of Logan was obviously in Roman's head with the way that he acted on election night, right? With some of the decisions that he made, and even Kindle was kind of beyond reproach with some of those decisions, but he claimed that it was because he's doing what his dad would do, but it feels like that conversation is now kind of put to bed a little bit, which is interesting. Also, what's interesting is, is Madsen manipulating everyone, it, it, or is he just as lost as everyone? You know what I mean? I think that's the question now. Is he some mastermind where he's picking and choosing his spots, or is he just as confused as lo and lost as everybody else in the shuffle? And I think that's where everyone's head's at now, because I've always felt like Logan knew. Even if, if even when he was lost, it felt like Logan kind of knew where the North Star was. Do you think Madsen has that same trait where he kind of knows what he wants and what he's going to do? I think Madsen represents a sort of cultural interloper that speaks to a larger narrative surrounding globalization. Mm. Interesting scene like a couple of episodes ago where Madsen starts talking about New York City, right? If you're a New Yorker or if you're an American... No one can really assail New York City. It's the center of art, culture, food, all of that. It's the best that we got. Mm -hmm. And you have Matson saying, hey, your town sucks. You can get all of this in Singapore. You can get all of this in other places. You guys think this is the best. You don't know shit. You Americans just don't know shit. And I think in this episode, what was, um, what was interesting is to watch Matson be outside of American culture and be outside of really anything that we can like relate to because for all of the things that make the Roy family unrelatable daddy issues and sibling rivalry are things that are like inherently understandable for Americans like right. I don't get them in the way that they do it but we kind of get that mm -hmm. he comes from somewhere else where we're not really sure so watching the connection that he made with Minkin tells you a couple of things number one Minkin is not, if, if in fact they do have a connection, Minkin is an outsider in a way too, which I think all of these demigods really are. Mm -hmm. I don't think they really um, uh, relate to 
average Americans, even though they feign it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they actually do. So the fact that they're going to have a little thing is just powerful, straight-laced, white dudes, no matter where they come from. That They're probably two different others right there. And number two, um, Madsen's lack of emotional investment into any of this, the fact that he doesn't care about <laughs> makes him incredibly formidable. He's not trying to live up to anything from his father. He is a he is one of the new breed of um, world tycoons um, and Robert Barons, if you will. He's the tech guy to where it's all code. People are code. Society is code. It's all numbers and figures. Take take emotions out. Take of it. emotions. We do out logic. Of it. Decisions. We do logic. Yeah. We it's it's all of that, and so that that makes it that makes it hard for people who are trying to do something in the shadow of their father, really what they should do is sell the company. Every way flo everyone floats away and gets a lot of freedom. But the reason why they don't want to is, or, or Ken, should I say, the reason why Ken and Romy don't want to, it's emotional. Mm -hmm. And so I think his thing is the fact that he's not really into anything other than conquest and continuing to build. And that's probably a little bit more the way Logan felt when he was creating everything. Yeah, let's talk about Succession's all-time place in legacy TV. I've seen you, you know, tweet about this a few times. Obviously, there, there's this, you know, tier, right? When you talk about Sopranos, you talk about, I mean, some people have Breaking Bad there, The Americans, right? There's all types. The Wire is probably, the it's probably, yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're on the ringer. Everyone likes The Americans. You right? like that? I've never seen that shit before. You gotta watch you that shit. You fuck with the Americans. You gotta watch it. It's a you great show. Is it great? It's a great show. And it's show. about people that, what are they? They're Russians? They're Russians, but they live as Americans and they're basically double agents. Uh, like this Matthew Rees, Carrie Russell. You ever seen a movie uh, with River Phoenix back in the day? Little Nikita? Never seen it, but you, I. Yeah. You should watch that. It's like, Will, River Phoenix is a, the typical American kid who realizes that his parents are Russian agents. It was a lot of Russian angst. See, you guys missed out. <laughs> Your generation, you missed out on Russian angst. Yeah, I didn't. Russian know that. angst in the eighties was fantastic. We were doing the Macarena in the nineties. Yeah, see, mean, everybody was, no, was having a good it was time. Like, it, it was, it was, like everybody was going cool. Uh, uh, puffy dancing, and, <laughs> yeah. and, you know what I mean? It was cool. In like eighty, stop, won't stop. In eighty seven, it was like, yo, Russia's about to fuck this up anyway. Oh, um, but, 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 uh, but yeah. So I'll check out the Americans. But yeah, um, in my opinion, you think it's tier one? That's really. Uh, Right. What? Right. Yeah, it's in tier one. The and tier one. Let's say that uh, and I've heard that Americans is a great show. I've never seen it, but let's say that tier one is Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, The Americans, The Wire. The Wire. Mm -hmm. Some people would say Mad Men. Yeah, Mad Men. Some people would say Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I took Game of Thrones off tier one after the. I did too, yeah. but it, it. I think it's. I think a lot of people would say that in all the times that Game of Thrones and all the time Game of Thrones was on television, that having it at in the first tier. One it had a monoculture to it where right. everyone knew about it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so, look, I said this and I stick by this. I did the the Wire rewatch podcast way down in the hole with Jamel Hill. I love the Wire; it's my favorite show ever. Mm -hmm. Sopranos is the most entertaining show ever. Like just bar for bar entertainment. The the, the Sopranos is hilarious. It's got a little sex, drugs, and rock and roll to it. Mm -hmm. It's got fantastic, as far as it's got being, family dynamics. Family dynamic, yep. everything that you want, um, including some racism. Everything that you want. Uh, it's got all of that racism, <laughs> sex, uh, racism, sexism, everything that America loves. Uh, it's right there in The Sopranos, right? Cool. Most entertaining show ever. It's funny. You go from funny to being whatever, whatever. Cool. If we're just talking about operating, on a high level of artistic execution, 
I don't know that there's been a better show than Succession. Mm. And I'm not saying that it's it's I, I liken it to this. Like I, one time, you know, I'm at a place and the people are trying to tell me how good the wine is, you know, how great the wine is. And I'm not on wine like that, Tate. Like I I like I know that wine is good when I taste it, <laughs> but I can't like drink the wine and say, hey, this wine comes from the Sapique Valley of France right. and all You're that. Not I'm yeah, not yeah, yeah right. right? But those people can tell you the great wine. I think the thing with Succession is it is a connoisseur's show. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it doesn't make you work, but it doesn't give you anything. So it's a little harder to see than it is drug dealers fighting for uh, meth labs there are and no all of that thrills. stuff. Nah, you gotta work for it all. And you gotta commit. But if you are of that, it's hard to see a show that's paced better, that's acted better, that uh, deals in weightier kind of things. Not weightier things. I mean, The Wire is as weighty as it gets. The Wire is still my favorite show ever, and I don't know that it can be surpassed, but I don't know that succession and overall quality doesn't surpass it. So, I don't know. We'll have to see how it ends. Yeah, and it's uh, it's almost Shakespearean. That That's how uh, dramatic it is at times. And the stakes are so high, and the dialogue is so incredible. And like you said, you have to immerse yourself in the moment. You can't be looking at your phone. There, I always do like the phone ratings when you watch a show. If it's a 10, I didn't watch any of it. You know, if, I'm, if I have Vanderpump Rules or something, my girlfriend, I mean, I'm not watching it. But if it's a 1, you know what I mean? Like a succession, I don't even have my phone out. I don't even know where my phone is. And that's how this show is. Tate, why did you just do that? Why? Did I throw Vanderpump out? So listen, let me tell you what Tate just did. <laughs> Tate said Vanderpump rules, and I want you guys to pay real close <laughs> attention to what he said after. He said Vanderpump rules with my girlfriend. That's not who you watch Vanderpump rules with, Tate. You like that, and it's okay. No, it's a good show. It, and it's good drama. And see, and, and see, and see but you, phone you, rating wise, you can be on your phone the whole time, and you don't miss a beat. That's want, what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I want you. I want. I want you to stop. Okay, I'll, say, I'll stop down. And I want you to say it's okay that you like Vanderpump Rules. Guess what I like? Let's have let's let's get this mm. out of here. Mm. I love Real Housewives of the Potomac. Okay. Look, Juan, Juan Dixon. Oh, Juan Dixon is on the show, <laughs> and like and, and I I tried to I, like I was trying to tell Kalika one time I was like I just did it myself. I was trying to tell Kalika I was like, do you know who the f- that is? And she was like, he used to play basketball. I'm like, no. Most outstanding player. He was the man. <laughs> that's Juan Dixon y'all got on this show. Like, that's yeah. f-ing Juan Dixon, bro. Mm-hmm. That's Maryland, dog. You know what I'm saying? Head coach at Coppin State. The man. whole f-ing deal. Let's talk about that. Some controversy. <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, so it's your, we, we can okay. Right. Uh, you know what else I like? Million Dollar Listing. Okay. They got a dude on there named Frederick. <laughs> he's like six foot five. Like a, he's like almost like a Matson of selling houses, Mm -hmm. and he's like a tight end that sells houses. It's dope, bro. Physically imposing. He's 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 not. You wouldn't even think that he's that physically imposing because he's like he's a chic Euro man, but at the same time, it's just like. You see him next to some of these other guys and he towers over them. I li- we like these shows and it's okay. Yeah, and Vanderpump is in the heat of it right now. we got a whole scandal going on, so if you haven't checked that out, go check What's that out. What's the scandal? Well, there's a guy on the show, Tom Sandoval. He was dating someone else on the show for 10 years. Turns out he was actually hooking up with another character on the show, Rachel, or Raquel is her real name, but wow. they call it Rachel. And yeah, it's called hashtag Scandoval, so get up to speed on that. <laughs> 
telling you. I think Rachel. I think Rachel Lindsay was talking to me a little bit about this on Higher Learning, which you can watch on and watch on uh, uh, Spotify and listen to it on the Podcast show. Network. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So look, I don't know. You know, it, it, it's it, uh, when I said that on Twitter, people very aptly pointed out that maybe there is some recency bias there with Succession. Eh, I'm not. I'm not immune to recency bias. I'm all over the show right now. But what I will say is that I'm consistently amazed. Just real quick, I'll be, you know, I'm incredibly long-winded, but I'll say this quickly. At the end of the funeral episode, there is a scene between Tom and uh, uh, a Shiv. Tom is, I'm tired, I'm so, so tired. And he starts to break down. (laughs) You guys... They are acting their off. I mean, right. I don't know what to tell you. It's like there. It, Get the, the Indies ready. The, the the scene <laughs> is so destructive. He is finally breaking down. His humanity is his his humanity is pouring out of his wounds. He's so real that she doesn't know what to do. She she's looking around for somebody to help. She thinks she, she has would, an angle. Or something. Yeah, yeah, she she's not sure. It's like and it all built up from. Kind of seasons and seasons of, of of a cold war between these two, to where they have this really intensely human moment, and neither one of them is quite sure what to do. I don't know what to say, man. It's, they f-ing cooking, dog. Yeah, it's just it's it's amazing. And they never want to emotionally show vulnerability to each other, and they finally do in that moment. I thought it was a great yeah, moment. Of course. Last thing, uh, we did prop culture early on in the yeah. season. We did the succession plan, and we got updated. Uh, you know, prop culture, succession, the, the the CEO, right? Even if it's nominal, who nominal? Who will be the CEO of Waystar Royco? And we got the odds in front of us. Um, originally, we had Kendall. We had all the Roy's at plus two fifty. Yeah, um, Roman's out. I think Roman is out yeah. officially. So here we go. Kendall and and Shiv are still at plus two fifty. But the big climber on the board is Cousin Greg. Cousin Greg is now at plus five hundred. Um, he is the way that we got into this series. You know, I, I like how they tied the bow on Logan's story with his sister. We heard the little bit of rumblings that early, and then they tie it up. We get the full story. Greg is how you get into succession. He's the cousin. He's how you get into the world. He is sort of our first point of entry. I do think there is a chance that, with Madsen being the way he is, he seems to like Greg. I pointed this out to you last time I had you on the show. Uh-huh. Greg seems to be the dark horse favorite right now at plus 500. Who do you think is the favorite to take over as the, the CEO of Waystar? So the favorite is still Ken. Um, to me, it's just, it would be Especially really... Especially after the eulogy. Yeah, the eulogy. Ken just killed the eulogy. But he was then ceremoniously neutered at the repass, I guess it was, the party after... Um, where he had to, um, he was trying to talk to Mankin and Shiv played him out of it. Mm-hmm. So he was powered up, um, he ate the mushroom, got big, then he got hit, <laughs> he got small. Okay, so not sure, there's still some, there's still some uncertainty there. Something that happened in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Okay, very. A lot of tears in the theaters. I cried. Yeah. My face off. I, I like. I, I literally there was a part of guards in the Galaxy Three where I went, "Oh my god," and the people around me were laughing because I'm just crying. I couldn't stop crying. I didn't know I loved Rocket so much. This is where I'm going. Do you know what you find out in Guardians of the Galaxy Three? Is that the entire story was Rocket's story the entire time? Mm-hmm. He's the real protagonist. He's the real protagonist, not in any actual way, but who they are, kind of. 
what they stand for, the reason why all of this stuff, it all comes back to, it's actually said in the movie, Rocket's story is kind of the story that ties everything together. Mm-hmm. He is the thrown together thing that ends up finding this family. And the family doesn't work without him, and, and they don't work without him alive. And you see why he's so attached to everyone, to group, and to everybody else in the last movie. And the attachment he feels to them is essentially the attachment that they all have together. There's a possibility that Cousin Greg is the rocket raccoon of succession. That what we really have been watching for the last X amount of time is Cousin Greg deal with, outdo, stay tangential to, and uh, sort of in the end surpass or win against his cousins that are in the Waystar Royco family that we've been we've seen how not how one of them takes over, but how the grand nephew of Logan Roy ended up becoming the person that runs the company. So everybody, keep your eyes on that. That could be a thing. I like it. I like Greg as the Rocket. I also when Greg was written on the paper as Greg question mark, that was when it was really kind of you know marinating in my mind a little bit. And then when Shiv pulled him to the side off the floor at ATN and says, can you come talk to me? And talks about the disgusting brothers and that whole sort of thing. Yeah. It felt like that was the moment where Shiv realized, oh, wait, Greg is actually dueling. Greg is actually putting himself in position. Yeah. And I did, I wasn't worried about him. I was worried about my two siblings, but it turns out cousin Greg might be in the mix. So there so, you go. Something else I saw on YouTube, real quick. Everybody can rewatch this. In the scene where Shiv is... Uh, from the election night show, where Shiv gets completely outplayed by Ken, uh, because Ken tells, uh, excuse me, Greg tells Ken about Shiv's um, arrangement with Matson. Mm-hmm. Watch this scene again, and watch Greg behind them when Shiv is doing when 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 Ken is dressing her down. He's smiling. If you watch it behind the thing, if you watch it through the glass, if you watch. Greg, when all of that's happening, because he the takes room, Ken outside the room, yeah. tells him, and then Ken comes and back. And Ken comes back when yeah. you watch him outside the room, he's smiling. He's a savvy <laughs> bastard. So, so <laughs> he's learned a thing or two. He's from, learned from a thing cousins. or two, and yeah. we didn't get to see his whole back and forth with Matson. So we don't know how close they really got. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and he kind of has, you know, always said we just got a drink. He's kind of always downplayed it, and Matson liked it from the start. So. There you go, Cousin Greg. I love the succession talk. I love the prop culture talk. Yeah. He is Van Lathan. Where can we find all your amazing work here on The Ringer? Ringerverse. Yes. Midnight Boys. Pew, pew. <laughs> Higher Learning. Every Tuesday and Friday on your feeds. I will say something to piss you off. There you go. Well, Van Lathan, one of the best in the business. Thanks so much for coming on Through The Ringer. You're the best. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.